July 13th, 2022. We're in Masechet Sanhedrin and Daf Sadigimal Amud Aleph. If you count down in the wide lines, 11 lines down, and then it's three words onto the line, the Gemara begins with a Biraita for us today. Tanur Rabbanan. Tanur Rabbanan, the Chachamim taught in the Biraita. Shiloshahayu Beotah Eitza. There were three who were a part of that plan. Now, this plan is not the plan that, that famous statement of those who were a part of the plan of uh, perhaps servitude of Am Yisrael in Egypt. Over here, it's a reference to Daniel being absent at the time that Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah are thrown into or are forced to be bowing to the Salem and then thrown into the furnace, which is what we were talking about the last day or two in the Gemara. Why wasn't Daniel there? So we saw th- several reasons that the rabbis conjured up in the past uh, a day. Now the Gemara says, you should know there was a lot that went into that behind the scenes to making sure and certain that Daniel was not present and in turn didn't uh, uh, go against the words of the king of Nebuchadnezzar and in turn wasn't thrown into the furnace. Who were the three who were a part of making certain that Daniel was not present? HaKadosh Baruch Hu Daniel Nebuchadnezzar. So the three characters you'd imagine, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is a part of the plan, of course. It's Daniel made certain to not be there, and Nebuchadnezzar. Now the Gemara will go into detailing briefly why each had a vested interest in making certain that Daniel was not present at the time that Nebuchadnezzar again is commanding that everyone bow to the Salem. HaKadosh Baruch Hu Amar Nezil Daniel Mehacha. Kadosh Baruch Hu Kivyachol said, uh, we should make certain that Daniel moves away from here, Dela Lemeru, so that people won't say, both Israel and the Umot HaOlam, Bizchuteh Itnasil. He didn't want that Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, when they emerge from this fiery furnace, unscathed, and didn't want people to say it was because of the Sadiq who was amongst them, it was because of the God-man, the Daniel. He wanted it to be certain and clear for everyone that when you're Mikadeshim Shamaim in specific circumstances, Kivyachol, God twists and bends nature for you. He'd be diminishing in the miracle had Daniel been present. I think we can all appreciate and understand that. It's any circumstance where something out of the norm takes place, we'll always look for something more rational with which to define and explain how and how that took place. Uh, Daniel being present would have taken away from the proper limelight that they and the event deserve. Daniel Amar, Ezil Mehacha Adela Likayem Bi Pesile Elohehem Tisrefun Ba'esh. Strangely, the Gemara says, Daniel felt he needed to get out of there because as they're throwing objects and people into the fire, Daniel, who would not bow down to the Salem had he been present, feared that Nebuchadnezzar would say, we need to throw Daniel in, much as he was throwing in Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And if I was thrown in, the Gemara posture suggests, Daniel fears that he would be burnt. Why would he be burnt? Because he would be Pesile Elohehem. What's Pesile Elohehem? This is Pasuk and Sefer Devarim. When you enter into Eres Kenan, make certain that you destroy all the idols and gods of the nations. Daniel had been made, and we'll see that in a moment, into a god by Nebuchadnezzar. In turn, the fear of Daniel, suggests the rabbis, would be that I'd be thrown in and God would allow for me to be burnt. I'd be burnt because I would be playing a dual role. On the one hand, I'm God-fearing. On the other hand, 
I'm the God of those non-Jews. As a result, perhaps I would die. So Daniel wants to get out of there. Nebuchadnezzar, why wouldn't he want Daniel there? Nebuchadnezzar, Amar, Yazil Daniel Mehachad, Lalemru, Kaliel Elahe Benura. Nebuchadnezzar had a, uh, had a personal bias in this circumstance. If he were to throw Daniel into the furnace, people would say about him, Kaliel means he burnt, he roasted. Uh, Elahe, of course, is his god. Nura is fire. People would say, what type of king are you? What type of person are you? You took your god, you told us. And we'll see in a moment how we saw that Nebuchadnezzar declared that Daniel was a god. You told us this individual is your god and you burnt him? I don't care what he did. I don't care how he defied your orders or went against something that you suggested or commanded. You burnt your god? So I mean, the Gemara suggests in this context there were three reasons by three individuals for why Daniel was not present, concludes the Gemara, but wait a second, the last two are suggesting, are assuming that Daniel was a god. If Daniel was, was nervous, he was going to be considered a god and then burnt, and Nebuchadnezzar, people are going to say that I burnt my god. Who said that Nebuchadnezzar made him into a god? How do you know that Nebuchadnezzar was bowing, which in turn means all sorts of avodah, all sorts of worship of uh, Daniel, how do we know that word sagid? We know that from Berich Shemeh, sagid nakameh. So that reason some people have the custom to bow forward during Berich Shemeh. Sagidna means to bow down. So how do you know minayin de sagidle, that Nebuchadnezzar was bowing, was worshipping Daniel? Cites the Gemara, pasuk from Sefer Daniel. Bedayin malka Nebuchadnezzar nefal al anpohi. Huli Daniel segid. At that time, the king Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face and he bowed to Daniel. Continues the pasuk parenthetically. And he commanded, or he, he, he demanded that there would be a minha, a sacrifice, and nihohin, some sort of pleasant smells, uh, brought forth to Daniel, which means to say Nebuchadnezzar, treated and considered Daniel as a god. It's explicit in the Pesukim and Sefer Daniel. Okay, the Gemara continues. We have more to discuss in these contexts. Uh, this is in a similar context, but we're in Sefer Yirmiyah. We're in Sefer Yirmiyah. We're dealing with the same kid, King Nebuchadnezzar, but we're dealing with false prophets. Yirmiyah sends a letter about the famous false prophets. What, what are the names of these two false prophets? It's Ahav ben Kolayah and Sitkiyahu ben Maaseyah. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar kills the two of them. There's little to no details in, in, in Navi, in Yirmiyah, about who they were. It's that sort of circumstance where the rabbis jump in and fill in the details. It's always, almost always, that opportunity wherein the hachamim, many of the midrashim, are most flowered and sprouting forth. In other words, for example, and we'll see it referenced in a few moments, uh, the story about Abraham being thrown into the Kivshan Ish. Uh, where did that come from? It's not in the Torah. Abraham emerges on the scene for all intents and purposes at the age of 75. We don't know anything about that, but there's a lacuna. There's this dark zone prior to the age of 75 in Abraham's life. So where did he come from? Where did he, what, what's his history? Now, it's not per se that the hachamim here nor there are suggesting or have knowledge about exactly what took place in his life, but piecing together their understanding of his personality and what the Torah is teaching us about him, so they conjure up this description to, get, to fill it in. 
would all agree with my description, not per se. Ramban Nachmani, for example, in his commentary to the Torah, seems to take it a whole lot more literally. And Loha Mishpat, to do so, he suggests the reason the Torah even left it out by Abraham is because everybody knew it. Everybody was aware of these details. But again, alternatively, you're looking at who he is. You're searching for clues in the text that will define who he is. He's an individual who stands for truth, who seeks out and finds God. Anyway, it says the Gemara in this context. See, here we have these two false uh, prophets. And uh, the, the, the Pasuk says here in Sefer Yirmiyah, uh, the two of you, or these two, Lachem Bishmi Shekin. The two of you have used my name uh, falsely, Uchtiv. And then the Pasuk says shortly afterwards in Sefer Yirmiyah, Velukach Mehem Klala Lechol Galut Yehuda Asher Bebavel. And Pasukin says further, Yesimecha Adonai Kesitkiyahu Vekeehav Asher Kalam Melech Bavel Baesh. Now the Lashon over here with regards to what was done to them is Kalam. Kalam uh, is, is roasting for all uh, the best way to translate it. And you would say for burning, Sarafam, Serafam, you would say for roasting or for you know, sizzling, uh, this Lashon. So the Pasuk describes how they were burnt. They were false prophets. Who burnt them? The king of Babel, of course, Nebuchadnezzar. And the Dirashah of the rabbis, before talking about them further, is Asher Sirafam Lo Pasuk does not say that Nebuchadnezzar burnt them. Ela Asher Kalam. Pasuk says that they were roasted. And that seems to be portraying to us something about the method and way that they were killed. Amar ben She'asa'an ki kalayot. Kalayot are roasted wheat. That was one of the things, for example, the Gemara Masech Pesachim says that children, what's on Dav Kofzayin, Kofchet or something like that, the Gemara says that children, in order to give them simcha, excitement on the holiday, of Leil Seder, whereas men might be drinking wine and women might get expensive clothing for simchat Yom Tov, what do you give to children? Kelayot and Egozim, roasted wheat, and nuts, if only that worked today, they'd be a lot mm. less hyper instead of sugar, whatever. But anyway, that's what kelayot is, roasted wheat. It was some sort of delicacy, I guess. That's what you liked munching on. What, why is that being mentioned here in the Gemara? The vision, the description of what happened to these false prophets by Nebuchadnezzar is they were roasted like roasted wheat. What's the significance for us? Well, we did learn Masechet Sanhedrin, much of it, and you might recall that the death penalty of Serefa, the way the Chachamim described it, the Mishnah and the Gemara, greater detail was in this quick, instantaneous fashion, or to the best of their ability, of our ability, instantaneous, with a pouring lead down the throat and burning out the insides. That's a lot less painful, or at the very least, a lot more instantaneous than doing an external burning. So this description is a painful, tortuous uh, circa, uh, situation wherein Nebuchadnezzar is killing them, and they're being midayekta from that Lashon Kalam. Then the Pasuk says, what did they do? What did they do wrong? They did nevala, nevala bi Israel. We have a similar lashon by Dina, by Shechem. Ki nevala aseta bi Israel ishkavet bat Yaakov. Vechen lo yeaseh. But over here, it's a description of these false prophets. And again, in the context of it sounds like vayinafu ni'uf, wrongful relations. What was the wrongful relations? Mayavud. Here is what I mentioned earlier. Filling in those details. The pasuk never tells us about it. I'm sure it was present and Easy information for everyone living then, but in hindsight, so what took place? Says the Gemara, perhaps this is what happened. Azul legabe 
these two false prophets, Sidkiyah and Ahav, went forward, they approached the daughter of Nebuchadnezzar. Ahav Amarla, the first one says to her, Ko Amar Adonai, or Ko Amar Hashem, Hashmi'i el Sidkiyah. The first one says, you know what God said? God said, listen to the other one. So he doesn't call attention to himself. He deflects it to the other. I had prophecy, and God said, you should be listening to my counterpart. Sidkiyah Amar, Ko Amar Hashem, Hashmi'i el Ahav. The other one, Sidkiyah, says, I had prophecy as well, separately. And my prophecy was listened to the other one. Azlava amra leila avuha. So uh, she goes and she tells her father. Uh, but w- what were they looking for? They were each looking for, uh, sent to the other one. The other one's claiming you should be sleeping with me. And the other one's claiming that God said you should sleep with me. In each of these circumstances, uh, the, the, the prophecy is God told me that you should go and listen to him and sleep with him. And God said you should have relations with him. So she goes to her father a little bit overwhelmed. I'm a little bit confused. Each one of them has prophecy about the other one. A lot of relations inappropriately. Amar la says her father Nebuchadnezzar to her, Elohehem shel elu sonezimahu. I can't believe that this happened. It doesn't match, it doesn't align with the nature of their God. Their God is sonezimah. Of course, reminiscent of this week's parasha, the end of this week's parasha, where Bil'am has the vision of how are we going to get them, what's their God a hater of, and so forth. Ki'atu gabach. so as a result, says Nebuchadnezzar, when they come next time to you, because they're looking for you, each one of them, shadrinu uh, legabai, send them to me. Ki'atu legabach, the next time the two of them, I guess individually or together, come to her, Shadratinhu legabe avuha, she sends them to her father Nebuchadnezzar. Amar lehu mana mar lechun, uh, who said to you that this is true? Who said to you that it's right, that, uh, that she have relations with the other or relations with you? Amru, they respond, of course, very proudly. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, it's God. Responds Nebuchadnezzar, Ve'ha'hananya Mishael ve'azariya she'altinu ve'amru li asur. But wait a second, I asked the true prophets. I asked the righteous ones that we all agree and admit to, the ones who were saved from that furnace of fire, uh, the Hananya, uh, Mishael, and Azariah, they told me it's Asur. They told me no such thing could be the reality. Your God hates Zima. He's, uh, he despises uh, illicit relations. Amrule, they respond, oh, come on, you're going to take their word over ours? We too are prophets. Um, we, we to our prophets, uh, we to our prophets like them. Uh, this is corruption at its best or at its worst, right? Their claim is, uh, well, we and they are prophets. So you're going to test who's telling the truth? We're all telling the truth. It was revealed to us that your daughter should have relations with us. It wasn't revealed to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. You're going to prove against it? How are you going to prove against it? I would deal with prophecy. Have you been gotten any prophetic vision recently? I mean, it's literally corruption at its best. But Nebuchadnezzar test them out. Amar lehu ana ba'ina de'ibdakinu. He says, what I'd like to do is to check you. The same way, same way I tested, I checked out Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. How did he check out Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah? By throwing them into a furnace of fire. So the same thing I'd like to do to you. I hope that's okay with you. If you're putting yourselves on the same platform as Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, there's no reason I can't check you out. Amar le, amru le, inun telatahavu, ve'anan teren. 
uh, you can't test this, it won't, it won't be fulfilled appropriately. They were three, they had the power of numbers. We're only two, they had three, they were saved from the fiery furnace. We were only two, I'm not certain, we're not certain we'll be safe. Amar lehu, so calls Nebuchadnezzar their, you know, their, their, their bluff. Baharu lechon man deba'itu behadaychu. So choose for yourselves someone, man, me, deba'itu that you would like, behadaychu together with you. Choose someone else. You need three, so go with three. What's the issue over here? Amru, their choices, Yehoshua Kohen Gadol. Yehoshua Kohen Gadol, we saw his name mentioned yesterday. And we'll see his name mentioned here, and we'll talk about him a bit more. Yehoshua Kohen Gadol emerges as a righteous individual, uh, perhaps with problematic lineage, but a righteous individual. So their claim is they're turning to the most powerful person of the era, and they say, all we need is that guy. If you bring that guy with us, we'll be all right. Savre, says the Gemara, their mindset, these false prophets, Ahav and Sitkiah is Leti Yehoshua. Yehoshua Kohen Gadol will come. This is not Yehoshua, the, the leader. This is Yehoshua Kohen Gadol later. De Nafish Zechute. Nafish like a nefesh. Vayinafash means to be spread out, means to breathe. Nafish means there was a lot. Zechute means his merits. He's a very important person. He's a big sadiq. Umagna Alan. And he'll bring Hagana. He'll bring protection to us. Ahatyuhu. Shadinu in Shadinu Ahatyuhu they brought him down. Yoshua Kohen Gadol was in Israel. They bring down to Bavel at the command of the order of Nebuchadnezzar. Shadinu and they're all placed into a fiery furnace. All right, so that's the case. What have we led up to thus far? These false prophets, some sort of veiled cryptic reference in Sefer Yirmiyah to them, and a full construction of the Hachamim as to what took place. It's a staged situation by Nebuchadnezzar to test them out. The Pasuk does say they were burnt. The burning is reminiscent. I'm just piecing together how the Hachamim may have gotten to this, together with some Masoret and, that they had in here, but they're connecting burning at the hands of the Nebuchadnezzar they liken the death of these to the attempted death of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And then they throw in several other details with regards to what perhaps would fill out this case. Shadinu, shadinu they're thrown into this furnace. Inhu, they, meaning Hiski, excuse me, Ahav and Sidkiyah, these two false prophets, Ikalu, they are burnt. Of course, they die. Yehoshua Kohen Gadol, Yehoshua Kohen Gadol, who's thrown in together with them. Iharuche Mane. His, um, his clothing, his maneh, means singed. That's the word I was going to use. I don't really know what it means, but I know that's the word in this context. I think it means it gets that, uh, that browny, uh, orangey stuff. So it's singed. Who said that Yoshua uh, Kohen Gadol's clothing were burnt? It's a derasha from Pasuk in Zechariah. Pasuk says, Vayareni et Yoshua HaKohen HaGadol Omed Lifnei Malach Adonai and the Pasuk continues and it says, And the Gemara leaves out all these words, but she fills them in, Pesukim on the side. Ud Musal Me'esh. Who was Yoshua Kohen Gadol? He was an Ud Musal Ba'esh, a firebrand who emerged from the fire, a, 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 um, a log, a, a, a piece of wood, which emerged still intact, but burnt from the fire. That's, of course, 
at least uh, I, I heard it many, on many occasions, the way that many people would refer to Holocaust survivors. They were Ud Musel Me'esh, they're this firebrand which emerged and were saved from the fire, which means they never came out fully intact. They had, were singed in some way. Why was he referred to as singed? Why was he the emergent one from the fire? It appears as if there was something on him that showed that he was in the fire. The Gemara will now question that. We had explicit mention by the rabbis from an implicit pasuk in the Navi that Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, in, in the Ketubim, that Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah went in and came out unscathed, both their clothing, their bodies, and their hearts and spirits. Everything was intact. Yoshua Kohen Gadol, why was he any different? Says the Gemara, Amar Le, the Nebuchadnezzar turns to Yoshua Kohen Gadol and says to him, Yad'ana, I know about you, the Sadiqa'at, I know you're a righteous one. After all, they wanted you for your merit. Why is it that to you, uh, the fire, a bit of fire had a way of uh, of affecting you. But there was nothing, there was no effect. Amarle, his initial response, or his only response, Yoshua Kohen Gadol, keep in mind again, Yoshua Kohen Gadol, who was thrown in and emerges, but you could tell he was in there. It shows something deficient in his character and who he is. Amarle, Yoshua Kohen Gadol responds to They were three. Three righteous ones, the power of numbers, the force of a congregation, even of three, I was one. So it's not that I'm less righteous, it's that I didn't have the strength of others together with me. Amar le, the response of Nebuchadnezzar, Abraham yahid hava, wasn't Abraham only one? I don't understand the difference. Abraham, the assumption is, his clothing wasn't burnt either. Hatam, the response of Yoshua, Kohen Gadol, is Hatam means over there, lahavu reshaim bahadeh. He was the only one who was thrown into the furnace, not together with wicked ones. Me? That, uh, in my circumstance, vela ityahiv reshut lenura. And as a result, quote unquote, the fire didn't have permission to consume. Uh, interesting lashon already in the Gemara. It's the eyes of the hachamim. You have to take a few steps back, not, not for now. Is that saying that every time fire burns, it's because, quote unquote, there was reshut? There was permission given to it. If we take this very literally, it means that God is in, in an active fashion, every act of nature. There is a mahlokan amongst the medieval uh, uh, philosophers, Ramban Nachmani, Harambam, and others, about whether that's the way we're to envision it. Does God implant nature with its laws of nature and oversees it, so to speak? Or is he involved in every one of those details? What's the nafkamina? Separate conversation? Maybe not that much. If he's involved in all, if he has a presence, even if he's not affecting gravity as I drop this cup a little bit, doesn't take away from his greatness. Okay, but anyway, the Lashon of the Gemara is telling in the eyes of the Hachamim when they have Ityahiv Reshut Lenura. Over here, since there were wicked ones, there were Reshaim together with Yoshua Kohen Gadol, those false prophets, Ahav and Sitkiah. It's for that reason that the fire took control of me a little bit. Either the Gemara or Yoshua Kohen Gadol in that moment uh, taps into a uh, uh, way that the people would talk. That was one of their, their expressions. This is what people say. Don't you know what people say? If you have just one um, log, one piece of wood, which is ratuv, which is moist, 
together with two dry pieces of wood, and they're all placed in the water, even though if the wet, the moist one was on its own, it would be harder for it to be consumed, since it's surrounded by the two dry ones, it's easier and quicker for it to be consumed by the fire. He says, the same thing with me. They were the dry pieces of wood with whom the fire was affecting very quickly. As a result, it took effect, says the Gemara, but that wasn't the real reason. Again, what are we questioning? What are we in the midst of? We're in the midst of this Yoshua Kohen Gadol, who in the eyes of the rabbis comes out not unscathed. His clothing is burnt. So what was wrong with him? My Anish, says the Gemara, but really, let, let's be honest. All right, that's the way he responded to the Muchanetzah, but it was a punishment. Come on, if he was that righteous, you're telling me if Abraham went in with two false prophets, really Abraham would have come out and he would have had some effect? Let's be honest, that wouldn't be the case. So what was wrong with him? The Pasuk does describe this, how the children of Yoshua Kohen Gadol, much as the children of Eli, at the beginning of Sefer Shemuel Aleph, much as the children in some way or fashion, and there are parallels of Aharon, acted wrongfully. These, la- these, these initial two that I mentioned, the Eli children, Kohen Gadol, and Yoshua Kohen Gadol, each of them, their children, not only ro- acted wrongly in one way or another with regards to the worship, but they were involved with women in relations inappropriately. Shine Emar, and interestingly, instead of quoting the Pesukim that describe exactly how that happened, there are Pesukim, it cites the following, Yoshua Haya Lavush Begadim Soim. Pazuk says how Yehoshua, in this prophetic circumstance, was wearing disgusting clothing. Would the Kohen Gadol be wearing contaminated clothing? Of course, we won't take it out on the parent if they tried, if they attempted to intervene. But the problem was, Yoshua Kohen Gadol, he never changed or shifted their direction. What does it have to do with clothing? Why is clothing the conversation here with regards to his children acting wrongfully, him emerging with the singed clothing? Why is it clothing in the easiest sense? I'm not talking globally clothing. I'm talking in the context of Kohen Gadol, when we talk about people in positions of authority until today, but certainly once upon a time, you talk about how their clothing distinguishes them from others. The Kohen Gadol has eight clothing and the Kohen Hediot has four. That's a distinction. Clothing is showing his prominence. The fact that the Kohanim are wearing specific clothing, the fact that the king wears different clothing, that shows their distinction. If you're not acting your part, if you're not living up to the expectations and responsibilities of the position, it means your clothing are inappropriate for you. It means although the clothing might appear to be intact, your clothing are problematic. In turn, that's the description here in the Gemara. His clothing were affected, his clothing were seen as dirty and inappropriate for Kohen Gadol because his children meaning he, in terms of his guidance of them, were not living up to the responsibility of that role. You're not wearing your clothing properly. That's really the message in this context. The clothing is symbolic more than anything. Says the Gemara, The following derasha of Bar Kapara in Sipori, name of place. My Tikhtiv, what does it mean the following? Uh, again, somewhat uh, difficult to understand Pasuk on Peshat level, as I mentioned to you very often, not always. Did Ashot of Hachamim come up and they burgeon out of these circumstances wherein 
is something that's glaringly deficient in the text. Why is the Pasuk not telling me more details about this? So here's the context. Naomi goes to collect. Um, it sounds like out of left field. It is somewhat out of left field, but we'll bring it back because we'll talk about, you know, in a moment or two. But anyway, Naomi in the story of Ruth, that's the book we read on Shavuot. She goes to collect as a poor person in Bethlehem. She goes to collect from the field of a man named Boaz. She returns to her mother mother-in-law's name of course, excuse me, Ruth, returns to a mother-in-law named Naomi. Now when she returns, she tells her, and we read about this in the, in the Megillah, how Boaz presented or gave a present to her mother-in-law. What's the present? So you'd imagine a fine new, uh, I don't know, Yom Tov clothing or a lot of food or something along those lines. Instead, it sounds like the Pasuk says, six stalks of barley. All right, I mean, it's already giving a present as barley, not, not that exciting, but at the very least, give a, a large portion, a parcel of some sort that is, that's grand, and said six se'orim, that's the present? Now, if you read it in Peshat, in the Megillah, it probably is just representative of, I'm thinking about you, you can sometimes give a smaller present as a marking point that I have, you can give a card that costs $3 in order to make the point to the person. She's going to be traveling home. Just show her that there's six se'orim and that's significant. But what's with the number six? Even if we're going to have it as a small number, what's with the number six? I the Gemara will have a derasha with regards to this. Says the Gemara, my shesha se'orim, why six? Uh, pieces of barley. Ilema shesh se'orim mamash. Perhaps you'll suggest it was actually six stalks of barley. In which case, for some reason, the Gemara says, all right, we'll accept that. Still don't know the number six. But okay, why six stalks of, of barley? Says Gemara, would Boaz, who was an Ishkibor Hayel, who is an, is an important person, a wealthy person, that's his present. Rashi goes a step further. Of course, Rashi being the Rashi that he that we know and love, he quotes from the Mishnah Masechet Peah. The Mishnah Masechet Peah talks about the amount you're supposed to give for Maaser Ani. So he says the halacha is that for Maaser Ani, the minimal amount is a lot higher than six seorim. So what was he doing, Boaz? Alternatively, it just means Boaz was a wealthy person. He's giving a present. He wouldn't have given such a hazit present. Ela, rather, you know what he must have sent? Shesh Si'in. Asea is a much larger portion. Six se'in is a huge portion with regards to what he's sending her then. Of course, Rashi asks, why not in between here a little bit? You know, you go in from six stalks of barley to six se'ah of barley, which is a huge number. You could have had a log, you could have had a kav, which are these measurements. Rashi says, because those just weren't the measurements you used when you were dealing with stalks of barley. So it was either se'ah, which was the larger industrial measurement, or it was the stalks, it was a smaller one, Nothing in between. Uh, says the Gemara, can't be, we're referring to Si'in. Uh, can a woman, by extension, can a man be walking around with six Si'in of barley? Uh, it's, uh, it's, it, it defies uh, uh, imagination. Ela, rather, says the Gemara, it really was six Se'orim. <laughs> what do you mean? That's strange. He's an important person. He's sending to his, uh, well, future mother-in-law, but at the very least, a person that he's related to, six Se'orim, he knows she's poor, he was sending it with a remez, el remez ramaz la she'atidin shisha banim la set mimena, shemit barechim beshesh berachot. He was sending her a message, say the rabbis, uh, that you're going to have six important descendants, and each one of those descendants are going to have six 
important berachot. They're going to be endowed with six important character traits and attributes that are unique to them. Who are first the six descendants of Ruta Moavia after her relationship with Boaz, the later descendants, Eluhen David, of course the book ends with the birth of the description of the birth of David, Umashiach, all right, we'll talk about him as well, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. So there's the six individuals. Now that we're dealing with the six individuals, you said each one of them is going to have six blessings. At the very least for today, let's start with David. What are the six blessings of David? David, the Gemara will in a few moments suggest that this is Doeg. Doeg, which was a top officer, top uh, consultant of Shaul HaMelech. So he turns to Shaul. This is at a time where... I don't know, it's hard for me to remember Shaul being anything other than this. At a time where Shaul had this ruach ra'a, where Shaul is out of his mind and losing it and uh, in all sorts of terrible states of mind, and we're trying to make him better. So Doeg, Ahad Mehaneh one of his important advisors, says, I have a way of solving this for you. Vayomer, ra'iti ben li You know, that Yishai was in Bet Lechem, I saw he had a son, and this son might be able to solve this terrible situation, uh, mental illness that you have, or the <laughs> spiritual illness that you have, Shaul. You want to know why? Here's what he can do. He's Yodea Nagin, which literally translated means he knows how to play. He can, he can, he's instrumental. Gibor Hayo, literally translated, means he has a certain strength. Ishmil Hama, he can wage wars. Navon, he's wise. And he has a certain stature and God's with him. What are each one of these descriptions? Uh, of course, we can read them in the most simple sense. Alternatively, the Hachamim will place it in the context of Talmud Torah, of course. If David was an important person, and meant he knew how to study Torah appropriately. Not so, so far-fetched with regards to what we know about David. David was a person who was tapped into chokhmah, to da'at, and to, to knowledge of God. All right, but the hachamim, in teaching us lessons more than in teaching historical lessons, describe each one of these attributes as You should know that Doeg really had in mind to talk to Shaul and Lashon Hara. He wanted to speak about David and provoke Shaul to get jealous and kill David, which is a crazy thing. You're dealing with your king as he's in Ruach Ra, ostensibly you care about him. The way you're going to solve that is by killing David. You want to uh, provoke the, the jealousy within Shaul? All right, but anyway, the description is that Doeg was looking bad at David talking to Shaul negatively, even though he's describing positive attributes. You're in a very, you're not, but he's in a very bad state of mind right now, so I turn to him and I say, I have the perfect person for you. And you're looking at a person who's now not thinking clearly, who lost all their money, who's losing wars, and you say, I found the perfect companion for you. It's a person who's wise, it's a person who's wealthy, it's a person who wins all their wars. So again, says the Gemara, Doeg was looking to get uh, Shaul angry, but we, looking at this, learned something about David, and that is, Yodea Nagin. What does it mean that he knew how to play instruments? Again, Peshat is Peshat. Rather, I say the rabbi, Shi Yodea Lishael. I love that line, always have loved that line. You want to know what it means that he knew how to play instruments? or he knew how to bring forth music, he knew how to ask. We'll come back to that in a second. Gibor shiyodeh lehashiv. His strength was that he knew how to then answer. 
I don't know, you're talking about the greatness of a person. Talk about the fact that they have the answers. This guy has the answers to everything. It's not the description. This is great for, you know, your TED Talks and your businesses and things like that. So use it. The description is that his greatness began with his ability to find the questions. That's the something to be said for that. I've told the story more than once, but I'll say it again. I graduated high school. I went to a post-high school yeshiva in Israel. And on the first day... The rabbi was talking to us, and he was asking questions, and I raised my hand to answer a question, and he killed me. I don't understand why he's killing me. I gave an answer. What's wrong with the answer? When I was in high school, he gave answers. He got applauded for whether I was right or wrong. And he just continued asking questions, and he ended the class without giving any answers. I don't understand. He walked in the next day. He said, there's a few new students here. I just want to explain to you what we're going to do over here. In this yeshiva, we're, our purpose is to teach you how to ask questions. If we find the answers, ashrenu. But we'll suffice with asking questions. Very foreign to me. I couldn't understand such a concept. But in short, what I do appreciate today is that wisdom and knowledge only emerges through an inquisitive mind. I'm getting there. An inquisitive mind. If you don't know how to point out and feel the circumstance where something is askew, you're never coming to proper interpretations. The description in turn of music, music has a way of opening people's hearts and minds to venues and directions that they never were inspired to before, and that's the idea of music. Music inspires a person. You birth an idea because you were inspired by the music, Questions inspire solutions. Solutions don't emerge out of thin air. Solutions don't just come about. David needed to start with again, the inspiration of questions, feeling, realizing something's wrong, and only then being the gibor who could prefer suggest the answer. Amen. Amen.